0: so let's start with the rapid fire round the first one is at what age do you want to retire 64 how long does it take you to get ready in the mornings 25 minutes most embarrassing moment of your life didn't have one favorite color Blue. what time of day are you most inspired? In the morning. How many hours of sleep can you survive on? I need six, six, seven to eight hours. Fill in the blank, an upcoming marketing trend is blank. Is uh, AI. The city in which the best kiss of your life happened. Amsterdam. Pick one, Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Hard one. The biggest mistake of your career. I didn't make much mistakes. How do you relax? Sporting. How many cups of coffee do you drink per day? Four, I guess. A habit of yours that you don't like. Uh, postponing things. <laughs> the most valuable skill you've learned in life. Being optimistic. Your favorite Netflix show. Uh, I think, uh, Casa de Papel. The last movie that you've seen that you liked. Oh, that's hard. I always forget them. Uh, The Triangle of Sadness the last song you've been listening to? Uh, Brian Ferry, but I don't know the song. All right, that's good. That was the end of the rapid fire round. (laughs) Uh, So if there's any of the rapid fire questions that you want to elaborate in more detail, or should we move on to the longer questions? Is there anything you want to elaborate that you felt you had more to say? What what do you think is most interesting to elaborate now? I think it was good. (laughs) Okay. Amplify is good, you know, keep people in the mystery, so. <laughs> okay, so the long-form questions are, as a seasoned marketing professional with extensive experience in strategic innovation, what would you say are the key elements required to successfully drive transformation within commercial and marketing organizations?
1: Uh... Yeah, there are several key drivers of success. So, it, it I think it it all starts with a with with a, a shared ambition and urgency on on things. Because why do you want to change? Eh? Transformation is not the goal in itself. So, it's very good and important that that you have a, an urgency and a real uh, let's say vision on why it is necessary to do this transformation. And this has to be sent out by the, by the leadership, of course. Uh, and then it's very much important to prove the idea of the transformation. So I always start with small, small scale experiments that make people, other people not involved jealous. And then, uh, it is much more easy to, to to build, uh, build further, to scale that up in a later state. Uh, so what you often see is that people are very much afraid of change. That's a common habit. And, and, and especially in the Netherlands, you see that when uh, leadership makes a decision on transformation, that the discussion always starts over again and that people want, want to rationalize why it's also good to do other things. So the best thing is to prove the idea of the transformation in, in, in a small scale. Uh, have the right people on board to do that,
0: and um, yeah, then then scale it up. That's that's how I do it. And how do you determine the urgency or the vision, as you mentioned earlier? How do you determine that it is urgent? Yeah, that's something that people
1: have to to feel. Uh, so one of the things I often use is uh, I don't know if you know this S curve model, where you say that every Organism in the world, if it's a tree or an organization or a human being, has a kind of S curve in its life. So it it starts and then it grows and then it the the growing is less and then at at the end of the it dies or it's like spring, summer, autumn, and and winter. So I often ask people where on this, in which season are you living in organizations? And when people then say, okay, we're living in autumn or in winter then it's time to, to do something, of course. Uh, so there are more and more, more elements where you can try to find out why it is urgent to change. And it's a very important. So things in life have to be important enough and urgent enough to act. And if it's urgent but not important, people won't act.
0: And otherwise, if it's important but not urgent, people won't act as well. What are some of the most important factors to consider when launching a successful product in today's fast-paced and competitive market. If it really has added value for for the customer, of course, so in
1: my opinion, everything starts with creating new added value for the, for the customer, the consumer. Uh, and for me, another question always is a kind of sanity check. Would I uh, sell it to my mother or to my daughter? Is it a is it a decent product? Is it something
0: uh, which is uh, making the world a bit better? And but is it possible to determine completely at the beginning whether a product is sellable or have there been instances where after a while it somehow caught traction or you know?
1: Yeah, it's it's not it's not uh, possible to. Uh, to give a hundred percent guarantee on success, but of course it's it's very good that you have a kind of uh, discussion uh, on desirability of products and feasibility of products, uh, is, uh, and 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 uh, if if there is also a kind of profitability uh, behind it, that makes it let's say in an economic sense sustainable. The idea so. I don't believe in free products, for instance, because it's always there's no such thing as a free lunch. So you have to create some value where there is enough profit potential in it that the company uh, will keep this in or keep this in the loop, of course. And that's uh, something which sometimes is forgotten. But desirability, of course, is is a product really desirable from a consumer perspective? Is really one of the most important and sometimes forgotten things in product-oriented companies. They like the technology, they they like the idea by themselves, but they didn't
0: uh, validate it in in the market. So what do you think of Apple's new virtual reality glasses? (laughs) I just had a talk
1: about it. It's of course very upmarket, so I think it's a game changer. it's, it's, of course, a, a toy for the boys, uh, for, uh, uh, what is it, a price, three and a half thousand dollars or something like that. Uh, but uh, it's a starting point. And, uh, yeah I'm very curious how this will work out. But uh, I think it's uh, at least uh, an interesting in- innovation from Apple after a few years. So uh, I like the idea. Although I don't like the idea of sitting in a room with my family. And I saw a commercial from Apple where a father was playing with his kid, with his uh, ProVision on. And I think that's, a, uh, for me, that's also a scary image.
0: Okay. So as a partner at Unsung Young and CMO at Unsung Young, you have undoubtedly encountered numerous challenges throughout your career. Could you share a particularly complex marketing-related problem you've faced and the innovative solution that you perhaps implemented to overcome it? Uh, yeah. First of all, it's good to mention that the name Ernst & Young, by the way, was already
1: rebranded 10 years ago into EY, but still, people talk about Ernst & Young, so you see how hard it is to change habits. <laughs> and that's one of the, the main problems, of course, in marketing, That uh, Sometimes you have a good idea, but it's really hard to change habits of uh, of people. And this proves it, I guess. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, of course, there is a wide variety of challenges uh, we encountered. Uh, and mainly what I see is that there is a big gap between the ambition of a company, which is sometimes uh, Formulated by companies like ours or the the Macbeast, the big uh, consult strategy firms, uh, and that there is a total uh, gap between this ambition and the capability of an organization. So it's like saying that your your ambition is to play major league, but the organization is totally not capable of doing that. And This is really a problem when companies state certain marketing strategies and then you see that the organization is not able to be more data driven or to be more customer centric or to be uh, more innovative. So um, in many big companies, you of course see that uh, real important uh, capabilities like uh, innovative power or entrepreneurial skills are scarce. and and that's really a problem in in closing this gap so our job is on the one hand to make this ambition more realistic so uh, saying okay this is not not possible for you but this is possible and on the other hand working on the capabilities of an organization to 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 close this gap and so to say and that's what we often do in 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 teams
0: So what's the usual reaction to your company telling some company that they need to be more realistic in their approach?
1: Yeah, that it differs. So, so uh, sometimes uh, we, we have to uh, tell these two clients that they have to be more realistic and people like it sometimes and some... Some big uh, egos don't like it because they have already announced it, so they they are afraid of uh, getting this reality check. Although there are also some companies that are not ambitious enough and we say, okay, if you want to play the game with the upcoming competition, you have to be more ambitious. And that's even a more difficult discussion. So it's easier to break than to, to accelerate in, in companies. Uh, but yeah, it's where we ask for and, and uh, you have to do that in a polite way. So being uh, being strict and and of course having the right arguments to say that and helping them. And so what we do, do is not advising people, but working with people together. So the, the time that consultants only give an advice in a PowerPoint and say, okay, this is what you should do, uh, good luck. Is over, that's over. So now nowadays we, we work together with, with our client in, 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 in multidisciplinary teams together. And uh, it's a joint decision you make. So it's not that we say you're not ambitious enough or you have too much ambition, but it's what we say together as a client. So what we always say at the end of a project, it shouldn't be our projects from EY, but it should to be the project of a client. They should own it and that it's okay but sometimes they need this outside view uh, to to make it more
0: sharp that's what we do so to pivot a little uh being on the board of the netherlands blazers and ensemble how do you combine your passion for music and the arts oh if you you doing your background studies <laughs> yes <laughs> with your professional work in marketing and strategy
1: uh, you always have to do things that uh, gives you new inspiration. And for me me personally is that I, uh, I really like uh, the world of art as a source for inspiration for uh, business. So um, that's why I was in this board. I had to end it after eight years that's due to cultural governance in the Netherlands this year. So, uh, uh, but it, it was really a great time. Uh, and I really love to work with uh, artists and other cultural people because what they do is asking the the critical questions in society. That's what good artists do. Uh, that's why also we at EY started a, an arts and culture fund uh, where we um, now are a main sponsor of the Dutch Film Festival and the Dutch Design Week because we see that uh, these young artists often uh ask the critical questions uh, for making a better world they 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 dare to uh discuss the the conventions in the world and that's what artists do more than business people but business people can learn a lot of that uh, and what artists also do is finding new ways uh new combinations uh of of expertise bringing together of combining uh, different uh, different visions uh, and making new new images uh, for the future so that's why i like to be working in these kinds of boards as a, in, in my spare time
0: do you do any kind of art yourself
1: no actually not yet but you asked about my age of retirement maybe later i when i was young i applied for the dutch design academy i didn't uh, get uh, access to that so I went studying business administration. I'm still an art lover and a design lover but maybe
0: when I'm 64 <laughs> I pick up uh, pick up art again. What do you consider marketing and art? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marketing is in fact art and science. Huh?
1: It's it's it's, it's uh, on the one hand scientific uh, work on really thinking on uh, insights based on data based on analysis uh, of where there are gaps in in certain situations is whether it's in product portfolios or in customer experience or in brand reputation and on the other hand good marketing is still about art it's uh, finding new ways uh, being original being Being a rebel with a cause, so doing
0: things that are not evident. Mm -hmm. So what is your rationale uh, behind your statement? We picked this from the internet. (laughs) Creating customer and social value automatically leads to shareholder value rather than the other way around. Could you elaborate on why you strongly believe in this perspective? Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's already a thing I uh, I strongly believe in for many, many years that I've, I work for a lot of big companies. And what I often see is that many boards in companies always take shareholder value as the, the starting point uh, and the main objective. And what my strong belief is that if you only talk about shareholder value, it won't create customer value. But if you talk about customer value it always creates shareholder value because to give you an example if you talk about shareholder value it is easy to conclude that for instance you should uh, reduce the cost of your customer service department because it could save you 10 million euros per year uh, that's easily found money to create more shareholder value but on the other hand it is it also reduces the customer value in a very bad way, potentially. Uh, and if you do it the other way around, if you really find uh, ways to increase the customer value and do things that are really relevant and distinctive for your customers, I'm convinced that shareholder value will follow. That people will recognize that I think, okay, this is a really a good company for, for clients. And shareholders are also consumers. So many shareholders
0: also have to buy products so they know if this is a good company. So with Paul's three decades of experience in strategic advice, what major shifts have you observed in consumer behavior and expectations over the years? And how can marketers adapt to effectively engage with today's digitally empowered consumers? Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> I'll make it a long story short.
1: So. I, of course, in fact, what you see is that that's changed a lot, of course. Uh, 30 years ago, there was no internet, there was no email, uh, there was no mobile phone, there were many things were not there. So it's really funny to realize myself that uh, that even in that time, we already did some marketing, but it was it was more on, on product and maybe uh, a bit on customer experience, but not really much. Uh, so what you have seen is that Uh, things like customer experience uh, and personalization based on data has become much more important over the last 30 years and much more possible because it's also easier to design it in a digital way. It's it's very hard to design a a customer experience for your Salesforce when they're all outside in the market or for people in, in shops, it is possible, but mo- more difficult than do, to, to do that for digital processes. So uh, that changed a lot, I guess. Uh, on the other hand, people are still looking for uh, trustworthy companies for uh, delivering the promise that uh, companies have to do for being, uh, being good. Uh, I think what which, which what becomes more and more important, of course, is the the item of sustainability and inclusiveness. So companies have to be uh, much more aware uh, on 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 doing the, the the good things in a good way. Yeah, let let's uh, have a look on the the Budweiser case, which is active acti- actual right now in the U.S. It went wrong in all in all dimensions. Uh, so it's 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 more difficult right now. It's uh, it's, it's a delicate game, which would which which change a lot. And in my opinion, marketing in that case is more and more not uh, an, a department that has to convince consumers to change, but has to, is the department that has to convince the internal organization to change. So in fact, we have to have an, uh, uh, a vision into the company, how this company should change to become more acceptable and uh, desired by consumers. That's
0: much more important than pushing products to customers. So what role do you think then data and analytics play in your decision-making process when it comes to developing new products and marketing initiatives?
1: It's a very important role. Uh, It's a a starting point in uh, analyzing opportunities, but uh, data and analytics never provide you with the solution in the box. So there is, when you have the right analytic uh, uh, re- reports, then you can start being creative. So it's for me a starting point to, to, to build on uh, your creativity.
0: Mm. Right, so the last question for you is of a personal kind. What would you be doing in your life if not this right now? uh
1: i always said that i probably uh in my next life but otherwise uh, maybe i would become a writer <laughs> of novels not of management books i hate i hate management books <laughs> there are always 600 pages to, uh, and uh, and you could write them in 10 pages because it's always uh
0: a lot of waste in these books <laughs> okay Thank you, so maybe in another life I'll be interviewing you as a famous novelist.